Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil here once again at the New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas, and want to welcome you all to um, our online service. And uh, this probably will not be a, a very long service, but hopefully it will be very deep and meaningful. Um, only I can only prepare what I feel in my heart that God wants us to talk about, and so I just trust Him that uh, it will be um, much needed. You know, even if it is short, we don't know. We'll see when we get into it. But I'm going to go ahead and make some announcements before we get into this, because you know, it's a I'm, I'm eager to get past them and get into the service. I believe it's going to be an awesome service. So uh, we have uh, uh, our website, which is nlicedarcreek.org. Um, there you can find links to our YouTube page, which please, yes, sub- subscribe. Uh, click, you know, you, you, can, you can find the link to our Facebook page. And if you would please like that, that would be, that would be awesome. It would uh, increase our reach and also make it easier for you to get in touch with us and see what we're doing. Um, we now also have three ways to give, which is by text, which the number will be on the screen. Uh, you could, or you can click on the, the link in this video's description just underneath the video, and that will, that will take you to our, our giving page, and you can, you can uh, you know, give as you feel led to give there. Um, the word said, uh, or, or Paul, Paul said, let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart to give. So don't, don't, don't give no more or less as you feel led to give from the Lord. Uh, it's supposed to be a prayerful thing between you and him. Um, now then down to uh, the, other, uh, the third way to give would be by uh, snail mail. <laughs> it's actually send a letter to the church, which the physical address or the mailing address will be there on the screen. And then also, if you have prayer requests, please, please send those to us. Uh, we are uh, eager to get those and, uh, um, you know, spend time with you, um, helping you and praying with you. And uh, that, that is what the body of Christ is to do for one another. And so uh, let's go ahead and, and pray and, uh, and get into the worship, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, you that you give us opportunities to praise and worship you in this earth. We have this time you have given us, and we can spend it with you if we choose to. Uh, we, and I just thank you, Lord. The word said that uh, you inhabit the praise of your people. It is your desire to uh, be near us, Lord, and with us, and uh, be sought out by us. And so we will seek you out. We will make that choice to seek you out now and be real with you. And uh, we thank you, Father, and praise you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. Lord, you make me alive. I need you. 
want to abuse your grace, Lord. Our goal is to turn from things that you have said are wrong. Not use your grace as an excuse to do those things. But walk with you as close as we can. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life.
Shed for me, shed for me, 
Lord, I don't want to take for granted. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love for his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. There's a place for me, I'm a child of God, yes I am, free at last he has ransomed me, his grace runs deep. <laughs> While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the sun set. 
sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. For a minute, just uh, there's someone who is watching this, who listened to these words and saw these words up on the screen, and you don't know 
You want that. You want to be able to say that there's a place in God's house for you. That there's a place that, that God wants, is proud to call you his child. That you want, you want that more than anything. But you're not sure, you're not sure how to get that. You're watching this and you're not sure about that. You, 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 it's your, it's a, it's a, like a cry in your heart. It's a, almost like you're, you're going to just burst if you, you don't, you don't find out how. The book of Romans explains this to us. Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are then a child of God. You have been adopted into his family. You no longer have to be worried about your past mistakes. What you want your focus is, your focus is to be on him. And you are to live the way that he wants you to live. <coughs> as a sacrifice to him. That's what the song is talking about when it says, Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? He's ransomed me. You've been ran if, you, if you accept Christ, you are now ransomed to God. You were in captivity to sin, but he paid the price with his blood to ransom you back. To win you back. And you can have that. God's offer is to everyone. Praise God. If you, if, you, if you have more questions or you want to know that, please reach out to us. Please reach out to us. We don't want anyone to not know what God has offered them. Amen. Okay. This is what it's about. God's offer of salvation. everyone to come. You know what? Let's actually let's let's go back to that song. If you if you accepted Christ after that, I know it's not very polished of me to do this, and I don't care about looking professional. I care about people accepting Christ. So if you have done that, if you did that when I when I mentioned that, then feel free, we're gonna sing that chorus one more time when the sun sets free. And you can sing it. You can if you have accepted him, you can sing this freely. And you can mean every word because you know that God means what he said to you when he's willing to save you. He's willing to give you that. Praise God, with me, who the sun sets free. And who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my
Yeah. 
you want that relationship. Let us feel you, Lord, pulling on our heartstrings. Because this is revival. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So I, um, when I put that set together, let me step over and get my water. So when I put that set together, I had no idea how intertwined it is with the message today. Um, but that really is the heartbeat of God. I, uh, you know, in, in Bible college, we had a, a class called introduction to world missions and we had a missionary come in and he was from south you know he well he was a missionary to south america and and he came in and he discussed um missionary life with us and things like that and um but he said he said you know he said even though this class is called intro to world missions he said really the, the name of this class could be the heartbeat of god it's god's heartbeat it's his it's his deepest desire to win people to christ and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, in the past, I've, I've had people, uh, you know, ask me, you know, well, why, why do we focus on Jesus so much? You know, when we come to church, why do we, why do we focus on Christ? Why do we talk about these things? And, 
it's because it is, it is the whole point of what God is wanting to do in the earth. Because when you understand when man sinned and fell away from God, that separated man completely uh, from God. And so <clears throat> man's destination then became hell. Uh, God created hell, but he did not create hell for mankind. The word talks about how God created hell for the devil and his angels. For It was, it was created as a place of torment for Satan and all of his cohort that had rebelled against God. And uh, so God did not create hell for people, which is why he sent Jesus. Because, because Jesus' offer of salvation will save people from hell. And it's not God's desire for anyone to go to hell. I had you know, one of my close friends you know, who wasn't saved at the time, and I was talking to him, and I said, you understand God doesn't want you to go to hell? I said, God doesn't want to go, anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want any person to go to hell. And he was shocked. And, uh, you know, because we get this idea in our society that uh, God is somehow pleased with sending people to hell. And so people ask this question, you know, from, from, a, from a humanistic standpoint, people ask this question, how could a loving God send people to hell? And it's not, it, it's, it's not, so, it's not as much, that, that's only one part of it. He, if people do not accept Christ, there is no other place for them to go but to hell. Because that is a place of eternal separation from God. And God did not design, again, he did not design that place for humanity. He designed that place as a place of eternal separation and torment for Satan. Okay, but people who refuse to accept Christ because of the fall, because they were, because mankind is separated from God by sin, that means that the only place for them to go who do refuse to accept God's offer God's uh, lifeline, if you will, his life preserver, he is thrown to, to humanity who is drowning in this, in this sea of sin. If people don't refuse to accept his, his, it, the, the, the way of escape he has provided for them, there's no other place for them to go but hell. And we'll talk about this more as we get into it to understand, because in order to understand that question, how can a loving God send people to hell, you have to look at it from God's perspective, not the perspective of mankind, because most of mankind is in denial about the fact that they need to be saved. So they want to go to heaven without actually going through the process of doing it God's way. Well, you can't, you can't get around the way God has, has dictated it should be done because he is, he is the owner of this earth. That means he, he, has every, he has the final say as to what is right and what is wrong. And because he has labeled, laid down for us what is right and wrong, we have to follow what's right if we want to be saved. And of course, the, 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 first, the first thing that he wants us to do that is right is to accept Christ. Um, let's go ahead and open our Bibles and turn over to the book of Acts. Like I said, I don't know how long this message will be. It looks pretty short from my angle, but we'll see. You never know. The Holy Spirit uh, had some things that he wanted to get across during worship, and it may be the same as we get into this. So uh, I want to really take some time today and look at some things that Jesus had to say about the end times, because we are talking still about the end times, but from the perspective of the Father. And the Father, of course, is the first member of the Godhead. You know, the Godhead is uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they are they are God. They are all God. They are. They are. Uh, God chooses to express Himself through uh, three th- these these three personalities. He is He is is three in one, uh, and so you understand uh, that this is why Jesus referred to 
the Father the way he did when he walked this earth. Um, so, you know, when you read the New Testament where Jesus talks about the Father, we have to take uh, into consideration the cultural gap. Uh, and this is, a bit, this is a bit of a tricky one because the Jews, the Jews by the time that Jesus uh, had, had come on the scene, uh, they had gotten used to thinking of God as the Almighty, the Creator, the Lawgiver, and he, he is all of those things, but many of them struggled with the closer relationship that God had stated in the word he wanted to have with them. God had talked to them about wanting to live among them and wanting to be close to them, and he had told them things like, Israel, this nation is my firstborn son. He had already laid the groundwork for them to think of him as a father. But for some reason, many of them had placed walls up, you know, and, and put so much of an emphasis on God's holiness that they, it, it, that had actually caused them to take a step back from him when it came to the father-child aspect of their relationship to God because they understood their relationship to God in part. But they weren't uh, fully embracing this this part of the relationship, this facet of that relationship of father and father child, that way that God wanted them to understand. So <clears throat> when Jesus came on the scene and constantly referred to God the Father, or God as, <laughs> constantly referred to God the Father as Father, Abba, Daddy, it's a it's a it's a such a, ter- a it's such a term of closeness, it's such a a, a term of endearment that it really bothered many of the people that he was talking to. Because how can you, how can you just call God your father? He, he, he's God. See, this is the way that they, that they he, 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 is, he, is beyond, he is beyond you. Well, well yeah, from the, the perspective that God is God and he is beyond us, that's true. But at the same time, he is the one who is wanting to draw near. And he is the one who, despite his... his or, uh, you know, uh, aside from the fact that he is holy and he is righteous and he is mighty, he is wanting that father-child relationship, and so he is initiating that. And so it's okay if he is the one initiating it. Okay, and so they didn't understand this concept. Um, and, you know, we, we see that God had this type of relationship with, with Adam and Eve before the fall. You know, he would walk with them in the garden of the, in the cool of the day and talk with them. You know, it said that, uh, you know, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man t- speaks with his friend. And I mean, you can be friends with a father, you know, uh, with a father figure. Uh, you know, um, I mean, another aspect I see in the Old Testament, you know, in the very beginning, God brought all the animals to Adam and he, because he wanted to see what Adam would call them. And he already knew what Adam was going to call them because he knows all things, but he wanted to see Adam name them. He wanted to see Adam interact with these animals and, and name them. And, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, he, he wanted to share in that activity with Adam. You know, so you'd say he encouraged Adam in creativity. Na- name these animals. I want you to do it, you know. And he enjoyed sharing that with Adam. And, but if you go back and you read the word, you will find that since the fall, you will find that humanity in general, not, not you know, because there's always been a remnant of people who, who desire God, you know, desire Him um, to the extreme, you could say. You know, I had, uh, uh, you know, one time, 
I, I mean, I have a cousin who, you know, loves the Lord, and she was learning, learning in the Word, and she was growing, and, and, and so somebody had, she came across was t- started to speak some doctrine that she, could, she knew was false from the Word. She's like, that's not right. And so she started to say, well, doesn't the Bible say this? And they said, you're just making the, making the Bible an idol in your life. And so she called me, and she said, is that possible to make the, the Bible an idol? I said, of course not, because the Bible is God's Word. And First John said that, Jesus, that, that the Word was with God in the beginning. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ himself is the Word. I mean, this is not Jesus in physical form, but the spirit of this is Jesus. So when you, when you say uh, that you can make the Bible an idol, that's just nonsense, because you can't make God into an idol, because an idol, by definition, is false. It's a false god. And so, you know, it, it's just, when you, when you look back and you see the history of people separating themselves from God and then setting up false gods for themselves, probably because they're false gods that they create for themselves, is, those gods are going to let them get away with the things that they want to do, the things that God has said they shouldn't do. You know, so they set up these false gods. Uh, you, you know, you, you see that as a kind of a recurring thing that happens again and again throughout history. And if you remember a little while ago, we did a study on Moses in Egypt and the plagues that God sent against that country. And one of the most important statements that God made to Moses before he sent him and these plagues began to to happen was that he was going to judge the gods that the Egyptians had set up for themselves. His judgment wasn't coming against the people themselves, but against what they had made to replace God. Because God doesn't want to be replaced he wants that close relationship. We also saw that, you know, when God instructed the people to strike their doorposts with the blood from the Passover lamb to protect them from that last plague of death, he actually extended that opportunity to all of the Egyptians as well. He told them that if there were any foreigners living among them that wanted to be included in the Passover, they could come near and become one of God's people. So it was both an act of God freeing his people from oppression, but also, it was a general call of repentance to all these people who had gone astray from God, from the God that their forefathers knew and then had rejected and then set up false gods for themselves. And just like God did in those times, he's also doing in these times that we call the last days. He is going to take his people out of the world you know, uh, while at the same time sending out a continual call, a clarion call, if you will, to repentance to those who don't know him. But we need to remember that he is doing this as father. A lot of people have a hard time thinking of God as father even today, you know, um, and, you know, a lot of times that's because people have father issues and so they don't, they they hear the word father and they kind of cringe at the thought of, well, you know, my father betrayed me in some things, and if I draw close to God as father, then, then am I setting myself up for that same betrayal? No, what, what, what our earthly fathers failed us in, God will succeed in. And I mean, it, there are times where he will correct us when we go wrong, but, but it's always for our good. And it's never to tear us down. So, like we had said, you know, like we mentioned so many times today, you know, God wants people to accept his son so that he can then adopt him as his children and be the father to them that they need. And I don't, you know, I, I want to reinforce everything I said with some things that Jesus says here in Acts. That's why I had us turn here. So it's Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 1. 
just to give a little background here. So uh, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. Talking about ascending to the Father after he had uh, gone to the cross. And it says, after he, w- he, wait, excuse me, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, verse 4, this is where we're getting to it. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized, excuse me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they had just seen this amazing miracle. Jesus went to the cross, uh, died a physical death, and three days later he was risen from the dead, and now he's appeared to them over this 40-day period in miraculous ways, done miraculous things, talked to them about the kingdom of God, and now they're asking him, okay, so right now are you going to to do everything that we've seen from the scriptures that the Messiah has to do? And one of those things was to restore the kingdom of Israel, and to reign as king. Um, so, but at this point, they're still thinking that Jesus is just going to take up an earthly throne, kick out the Romans from their territory, and be king of Israel. And that will happen. There's a time for that. But not until after all these things that take place in the end times that Jesus talked about to them previously. And Jesus' response is, you know, so apparently they, you know, sometimes we're a little slow about things that God's told us, and it takes a little time to process it and, and really to get a hold of it, you know, down in our heart. And so they're, they're, they're missing a few things. And so Jesus' response is not what they expected. Verse 7, it says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So there are specific times and seasons the Father has put into his own keeping. Okay? And, and I know that we as individuals would like for God to kind of spill the beans and just tell us everything up front about what's going to happen, but he has his reasons for not divulging certain information. And it's interesting that even during this, this Jesus' earthly ministry, there were things the Father knew that Jesus didn't know. And Jesus seemed to be okay with that. You know, and, and now, now here's where we see, you know, when we, when we get into this in verse 8, this is where we see the framework of God's end game uh, that we talked about a little bit last week. But it says here in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So God has put a witness in the earth to make people aware that he wants them to turn away from a sinful behavior and come to Jesus so they can be adopted by him. It's the same thing we saw God do with the Egyptians. It's like, it's like I'm going to give you this way out of this judgment that's coming. Okay, but, you, but it's the only way out. But it's a fair, it's a, it's a very fair and uh, undeserved way out. Okay, so it, it's, it's really the best, it's really the best deal that anyone's offered to anyone. You know, I, I mean, I have been given sonship to God through Jesus. When I accepted Jesus, when I, when I, made that confession that Jesus is my Lord and believed in my heart that God rose him from the dead, I have now received sonship 
to God. Jesus gave everything so that I could be a part of God's family and be able to legally call him Father. And now I am a a fellow witness to these people that Jesus is talking to here. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Now I have this same thing in common with them. And that, that witness that they spread throughout the earth still speaks through us. We speak God's word in the earth. And the Bible tells us that God's word will not return to him void, but will accomplish that which he sent it forth to do. And we've talked about the fact that God's primary intention for that word is for people to be saved. We've mentioned that many times. But the, the point that I'm, I'm wanting to get across here is that God's word exists in the earth. It is standing as a continual witness to people. Okay? It, you know, it, it, and it just, it, it, it keeps resounding throughout the earth. This continual witness. And so, of course, the, the primary purpose of that is to, is to, is for, for that word is for people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what the word says is God's desire. His desire is that all men be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. When it says all men, it doesn't mean just men, it means mankind. That's the context it's using. He wants all of mankind to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The secondary function of that word that's continually resounding throughout the earth that God sent through us is to stand as a witness in judgment day against people who refuse to repent and continue in sinful behavior that separates them from God. It's as simple as that. God wants to save people and make them a part of his family, but people have a choice. And those who reject God's offer will end up in hell because, like we said, there's, there's no other place for them to go. Let's go ahead and take a bird's eye view of the end times as Jesus describes it. Let's turn to Matthew 24, and it's possible that we'll be going over some of the stuff that we talked about in the online service last week. Um, so just bear with me. If, 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 it's, uh, if it's similar, then you, know, you, you can still get other things out of it. Amen. So Matthew 24, uh, looking at verse, verses 1 to 2. So again, the disciples are asking Jesus about things to come. So in Matthew 24, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And again, you know, that's a prophecy that Jesus gave that actually came true. 37 years later, the temple was torn down by the Romans. There's no physical temple in Jerusalem. We talked about that at great length last week. Um, and so we, we do know that that is one of the signs of the times that, that we as believers now can look to when that temple, when the temple in Jerusalem is <clears throat> beginning to be rebuilt, uh, we will see, okay, okay now, now, now it's possible for the Antichrist to be revealed, it's, it's possible then for these things to really begin to get kicked up a notch, if you will, because things are already intense now, but they will just become more intense. But don't be in fear about that, because we're going to see some things that Jesus has to say about it. Um, so, one thing that I will say is that, you know, just to dig a little deeper on this, this, um, this discussion about the rebuilding of the temple, uh, I think sometimes people focus too much on it, but, uh, you know, it is true that uh, the, there are people in Israel who are preparing, even now, for the rebuilding of the temple. 
Um, they, you know, one of the teachers at Ramah said that he was out on tour. They were touring the temple site and everything, you know, where, where, it, where, where it was. And uh, he asked the tour guide, so do you guys plan on rebuilding the temple? And she said, well, we, you know, there already is temp- uh, the, the temple furniture being prepared. Talking about the table with the bread of the presence, the incense altar, all of those, you know, the, the, the candle uh, or the, the, um, the menorah. You know, all those things are in preparation. So, you know, just keep an eye on those things, okay? So, let's uh, go ahead and look at verse 3. It says, now, as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked, just keep in mind, just to keep our our timeline in in order, they're asking this question before they asked Jesus the other question, you know, because we read in Acts. That's after Jesus was raised from the dead. They asked him, well, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to yourself? Jesus is going to tell them all these things that must take place. And so they actually asked this question before they asked that other one, the one we looked at first. So just, you know, just, just to keep our timeline right. So it says, uh, what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? Verse 4, he says, or it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And we, we spent some time talking about um, these wars and rumors of wars, and we can see that because there's multiple wars and rumors of wars, the world will not end by just one big massive war, so we don't need to worry about that. That will not be the sign of Jesus coming in the, the end of the age. It will, the end of the age will not result in a war that devastates the earth. Uh, you know, and it, it makes sense because God, you know, if people are dead, how can they accept Christ? I mean, God is, God, is do, God is creating an atmosphere in the end times where many, many people have the opportunity to come to Christ. And we, we saw that uh, last week. We looked at that great, that, that innumerable uh, multitude that came out of the, the tribulation, uh, that people who will accept Christ. And so to me, that backs up the belief that there will be a last great harvest, that's just my personal belief, my personal opinion, okay? Um, and again, take that for what you will. So I want to touch on this, you know, before we move on, where Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you. You see that again and again uh, concerning the end times that Jesus is saying, do not be deceived. You know, do not be deceived. Well, how do we not be deceived? Well, we go back to what my cousin talked about that, you know, in the beginning. Be in the Word. If you're in the Word all the time, then you, there you have a much better chance of not being deceived. However, I will say that lots of people take the Bible out of context because they, they have their little pet doctrine that they want to push. And so when we read this, we need to uh, read it in context and we need to divide it uh, accurately. We need to divide it rightly. The Word talks about rightly dividing the Word of truth. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. So that means it can be... Uh, divided wrongly <laughs> if you will well i want to be on the side that divi- divides it rightly okay amen so uh when you when you when people t- start taking a verse here and a verse there and start twisting them to f- try to fit into what they what they want to have happen or what they want to see have happen got to be careful with that and uh you know if you want more teaching on uh this you know we did a whole series called wolves and sheep 
Um, I did think we did four parts on it. It's it you know, and don't don't be daunted by that. But if you if you really want to know about this thing where Jesus is saying, see that no one deceives you, I strongly encourage you to get a hold of that teaching. We have it online. Uh, it's only available in audio, I believe, maybe. Uh, but but uh, I mean, it's it's very it's a very important teaching for people uh, who want to heed Jesus' warning here. So uh, moving on, uh, let's get down to. Oh, I guess, I guess I've gone as far as I could there. Let me make sure I don't get ahead of myself. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over this at a different time. Um, I feel we ought to move. Let's, so let's go over. We want to take a look at what Jesus is talking about um, as it pertains. See, if you look at verses 3 through 14... Here, Jesus gives an overview of the entire end times. Let's just read through it just so you can get it. So uh, I know we don't have that, Bill, but if you could bring up uh, verse 7 down through verse 14. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you a second here. So we want to, this is just a bird's eye view of the end times. And, you know, people, and I'll probably say this again in the future to you, but people who read this here, it can seem scary because he's saying what's going to happen, these great events right on top of one another. And so we get this feeling that all of this stuff is just going to break loose and it's just going to be complete chaos in the, wor- in the world. But we'll see in a minute here that it's not really going to be that way. Uh, so look at verse 7 with me. Jesus is continuing. He says, For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, keep in mind that we're already seeing these things happen. Okay. We, we have seen these things happen, have been happening for centuries. So we, we, we have to look at this from God's perspective. You know, God is saying the time is short, and from his perspective, the time is short. Okay, but from our perspective, it may be dragged out a little bit longer, but because we don't know the day or the hour of our Lord's return, we do have to live as though he's returning at any moment. We have to, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus talks, if someone were to leave you in charge of something, you know, I mean, if you were, and they're gone, like say, say they give you, they let you house sit. Okay, you're over at their house and you're, they, they're saying you can house sit, you can, you know, I mean, uh, let's say that it's a very rich person's house. Okay, so it's like there, you've got, you've got the pool table, you've got the indoor pool, you've got, uh, you know, all this, all these luxury items in this house. And if they're gone for a long time, uh, you know, all of us might face the temptation to kind of leave some things unkept while they're gone, you know, just kind of enjoy all of the fun things and just kind of, you know, but if, if we did, if we left the place kind of a mess and then all of a sudden they showed up a week early than we expected them to, wouldn't we just jump up and try to start cleaning everything real quick? But no, Jesus said, you don't know the day or the hour of my return. So the things that he has entrusted to us to take care of in the earth, we need to be doing it. Uh, we don't, we, we can't be slack in that. We need to be aware of the times that we're living in but not to the point of fear. We need to do what he has told us to do and be doing a good job when he comes through the door so that we're not caught off guard. And Jesus talked about these things. He talks about these things quite a bit in the Word. If you read the Gospels, you'll see he discusses this. And so this is important for us to keep in mind at this time. Um, what verse did I stop at, Bill? Seven. Seven, thank you. So verse eight, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. That's why, you know, and so this is, this is uh, why we've experienced these things up till now, because in my opinion, we are in, at the end of the beginning of sorrows. Okay, in, some, in, in a different account, Jesus calls it the birth pangs. 
you know, before a woman gets into full-on labor. He's just using that as a visual for us to understand that there's that period where, she, where there's birth pangs, but then there's the actual pain of the childbirth, and that's uh, what he's getting into now. He says in verse 9, And then they will deliver you up to tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure. It means pressure, okay? Uh, what's the pressure for? To get people to denounce Christ. Okay, they're, tr- they're pressuring people to denounce Christ, and they do it uh, through various ways. Because so, he says, And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Okay, excuse me, sorry, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm probably chattering on this. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Pardon me. Well, why, why are Christians going to betray each other? Not all Christians will, some. Probably, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many, but, but some Christians will. Why? Because they've been put under pressure to denounce Christ, and, they will, and some of them will give in to it. Uh, but then verse 10, he says, and then, okay, uh, many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Uh, verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So there's that warning again. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Okay, he's talking about not, not being physically saved necessarily, but spiritually, yes. You, you, will, you will live for eternity with God. Um, you know, everything will be restored to you that you have lost if you endure to the end. Because God is that good. So verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness, there's that word witness again, to all the nations, and then the end will come. So you can see, he says, at this point, then the end will come. That's why he's giving an overview of, of possibly many years. Okay, a long time, possibly. And in my personal view, it's probably, you know, within this 2,000-year span that we've seen since, since Jesus ascended to the Father, um, not everyone will agree. And it's okay, we don't need to agree on these things. Our most important part is to be this witness in the earth that he's talking about. That's our job. Our job is not to try to interpret these things and try to convince other people of our opinion. Um, so when we get there, uh, let's go ahead and now skip down to verse 36 in this same chapter. We're going to see some interesting things that Jesus has to say about this because we just got off this overview where it looked like these things are going to be happening one after the other and it's just going to be terrible all the time there will be times that it will be very difficult and other times where it won't seem so. Okay, because we'll see this in verse 36. He says, but at that day, this is the day he returns, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So there's that, you know, there were some things Jesus didn't know in the earth. Uh, okay, so verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now remember, you know, uh, it, it, he, he, over in Thessalonians, and we looked at this last week, Thessalonians, Jesus told us, or Paul told us that before Jesus would return, that there would be that falling away. Okay, so this is, this is what he's talking about. In this context, he says, 
For as in the days of, uh, of uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Who, who are they all away? That were ta- who are those who were all taken away? They are the ones who did not listen to Noah's warnings because Noah was giving people warnings that this is going to happen. Okay, you need to repent, get right with God. You need to, you need to come, come into the ship and you know, be saved. And, you know, of course, that's a physical saving. You know, God is now dealing with a spiritual saving in this age. But you can, you can parallel what he's talking about here is he, he, he's talking about the wicked are the ones who are going to be taken away. And they're, they're eating and they're drinking and they're marrying and giving in marriage. They're just worried about everyday concerns in life. You know, and so there's going to be in the end times a, um, a business as usual type of mindset. Okay, <clears throat> and so that that doesn't really uh, line up with this idea that things are going to be falling apart everywhere, and there's going to be this this tragedy and this this world event and this going on and that going on because they wouldn't be able to operate this way in day to day life if all that stuff was happening one on top of another. If that stuff happened like that one on top of another, all the things that Jesus gave us, the signs of the, the times, then people would start panicking and just. You know, it would be like those post-apocalyptic movies we see, you know, that we talked about. I mean, like, you know, think about the movie with the meteor. You know, people are just panicking and the, the freeways are crowded. No one can get away. And that's not the way it's going to be. That's not the picture that Jesus is giving us here. Because there has to be a, a continual witness of God's word in the earth. And people need to be in a state of mind in which they can receive it. God doesn't want people panicking and running around. Now, when we get into the really heavy, thick stuff that happens in Revelation, there will be times that those times will increase, times of panic will increase, but not because the people don't, haven't heard the word. It will, it, those things will happen because God is putting pressure on mankind. The further we get to, to Judgment Day, the more pressure he's going to put on mankind to pay attention to the word and make a decision about whether they're going to accept Christ or whether they're going to reject him. That's the purpose of that pressure. Okay, because you can see that parallel in the pressure that God put on Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. The pressure of the, the plagues increased and it got worse and worse and worse until they had to make a decision. You, what are you going to do? Are you going to accept this offer? Or are you just going to kick the people out of the land and just, you know, just continue living the way you're living? continue to worship your false gods that you have used to replace the true God, the true Father who wants them to come. Okay? So, if you read the book of Revelation, like I, you know, where it gets worse and worse as that escalation takes place, when you look at it from the perspective of God wanting to be Father to people and save the wicked from the possibility of hell, because that's what he wants to do. We understand then that the judgment that he, he brings comes in different layers. Because it, it, it gets, it, it gets uh, there's, there, there is an increasing of pressure that God is putting on people. You know, while the wicked are still living on the earth and there's still a chance for them to be saved, God judges their sinful lifestyles. Okay, the time for judging them as a person has not come, he's judging their, the sin that they're continuing in. And because of that, because they want to continue in that sin, they're experiencing this intense pressure. 
okay, you know, um, if they turn from sin and accept Jesus, they, they won't be condemned on Judgment Day. It's the same offer he gave to the Egyptians while, while he was delivering the Israelites. And we also see this pattern with, uh, that God does of attempting to bring out rec- reconciliation with the lost. He, it's a, God always seeks reconciliation. You know, I mean, because I mentioned something about the, the beginning, the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned. The first, th- first thing that God did was come looking for them. Why? Not to judge them, but to reconcile with them. Because after, the, after the, it came out what the sin was, after uh, he, he, he meted out the, the, the just punishment, then it says that he, he took two animals and killed them and made, made hides, and he, put, he clothed them with the hides. In other words, uh, you know, in that old time, before Jesus came, it was the blood of animals that, that took the place of a person's, uh, a person's sins. Because if a person sins, the word says that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That's why God doesn't want people to sin, because he doesn't want bloodshed. But if a person sins, there's no payment for their sin unless they die, unless their blood is shed. And so the animals that God killed were taking the place of Adam and Eve because their blood was more precious in his sight than the animals. Not that he didn't care about the animals. If he didn't, he wouldn't have told them not to sin in the first place. But he was giving them a way of being reconciled back to him. God is always seeking that reconciliation. I mean, even before Cain killed his brother, if you go back and you read in the very beginning, even before Cain killed his brother, God told Cain, you know, don't, don't let, why, why are you sad? Why is your countenance fallen? Because Cain had become jealous of his brother, and God simply told him, if you do well, won't you be accepted? God's trying to get him back. Stop thinking this way. Come back to me. Start thinking right. So even from the very beginning, you've seen that this is God's desire. So, you know, talking about this pressure that, that God puts on people, some people, a lot of people will not make a decision unless they come under some amount of pressure. For, for some people, it's a very little amount of pressure that they need to, to accept Christ. For others, it's a, very great, de- a great deal of pressure. That they, that they have to come under before they'll finally come. And then for some people, they won't, they won't accept God no matter what. And that's their choice. They're free to choose that. So the, have you ever prayed for someone who was struggling to accept Jesus and after you pray, suddenly you see them start to come under pressure in their life? The seven-year period of tribulation that God sends upon the earth is because he's putting pressure on people to respond to that witness they have heard about Jesus. And it escalates so fiercely at that time because the time of judgment is drawing nearer, the day of judgment is drawing near, and God is wanting people to stop riding the fence and make a clear decision about what they are going to do with this Jesus they have heard about. Because God is a just judge so he must judge sin but that doesn't mean he enjoys the judgment part of it he doesn't enjoy actually doing the judgment because that means that some people who he's been trying to win for so long are going to go to hell it is it is simply something that is necessary because and the reason it's necessary is because he has already set the bounds for what is right and wrong behavior in this world he has created 
And he longs for the other side of the final judgment because of that day, because then he will be fully reconciled to the people who have accepted his offer of salvation. I mean, you know, here's an analogy, okay, just a quick analogy. Um, if, you, if you rent an apartment, okay, you're, you, you have signed a lease, you are, you are pay, making payments on this lease. Actually, no, let's, let's scrap that, scrap that. Think about this, okay? If you accept a house guest, someone comes into your home and they start causing harm. They cause harm to you. They cause harm to your finances. Maybe they start breaking stuff, ruining things. They just don't care. Maybe they harm your kids. They harm your pets. You, you will, there will come a point where you will not allow that person to remain in your home. And you will expect them to repay you for the damage they caused. Is that not right? It's the same thing with God's planet he has made here, this earth he has made. I mean, he cares more about people than the planet. But when he, when people come into this world and he has told them, this is the way you should live, this is what I want you to do, and instead they start causing harm to the people around them, there ha- that has to be judged. It must be judged. So, you know, we have to say, you know, because we answered this question, how could, a, how could a loving God send people to hell? Uh, you know, this is how he can be a loving father and at the same time condemn people to hell because anyone who goes to hell will have made a conscious, conscious decision to ignore the way that God tells them to live. God will not send anyone to hell who does not deserve to go there. We all deserve to go there, quite frankly. I had a teacher at Ramah who used to say, I'm so glad God is not going to give me what I deserve. Instead, he, 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 he saved me. He, he, he sent Jesus to die for my sins, a price that I could never pay, so that I could call him Father. If I choose him, and I do. Amen. That's all I had today. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we have your word, that we can go through it and we can choose to alter our view, our t- tweak our perspective so that we can see things the way you see them and understand you better and get to know you better. I pray, Father God, that you do send revival to the earth, that you send laborers into your field, your harvest field. And we pray, Father God, that you give us opportunities to speak to people at the right time, in the right place, when they are ready to hear it. And we, we, won't, get, uh, we won't get discouraged if they don't accept Christ right away, but we, we will be faithful to sow seed. We will be faithful to share Jesus with them and be a witness of what he has done for us in our lives. And we thank you, Father, and we praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, bless you guys. And I will be seeing you again next week.